In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Endris and Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Endris and Hauser, the people for process automation. Today we have an interesting guest, although I like to think if you're a regular listener to the podcast, and I hope you are, you will agree that we always have interesting guests. How interesting is today's guest? The way you just have to listen and see as I bring on the show today, Mr. Alex Greenwood, the principal and owner of Alex, what are you the principal and owner of? I am the principal and owner of AGPR. That's Alex Greenwood Public Relations. We're celebrating our 11th year. We're based in Kansas City, Missouri, and we do standard public relations work, but we also specialize in crisis communication planning. Well, and you're also the author of the John Pilate Mysteries. <laughs> it's the John Pilate Mysteries. It's like the Roman governor who washed his hands of the whole affair with Jesus before the crucifixion, which the main character, I get that a lot, by the way. In fact, it got to a point where I got that so often after we're in the seventh book now, or the eighth one's on the way. People say that all the time. I finally have the character himself just getting that all the time and saying, no, like, like the Bible, not the exercise machine or exercise class. You know, in a way, that kind of works for him. But yeah, it's just some cozy mysteries I've, I've written on the side. It's a fun thing. So what kind of mysteries are we talking about? Well, it's this fellow who's just an everyman, and he the first one was inspired by a true story. I went and took a job in Nebraska at the oldest college, tiny little college, but I'll never forget. I was about a weekend at the job. I was the PR and marketing director. President had left a big, fat, manila envelope on my desk. There was this little sticky note that says, we get calls about this from time to time. You better bone up on it. I pull it out and Russell, it was the, it's like crime scene photos, affidavits, news stories. Apparently back in 1950 or so, a very disgruntled professor assassinated the president of the college and the dean and then took his, his own life. And it, I mean, that was like the first or one of the first school shootings we'd ever heard of. And I'll tell you what, I was so fascinated by it, I kind of took that story and adapted it into a mystery and kind of made the based on true events. So, and after that, the character was pretty beloved and I sold a few books, so I kept it going. Well, good for you. Well, that is interesting. But the reason I wanted to have you as a guest today, <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is interesting too, and this is the reason I wanted to have you as a guest today, is because you've also authored something entitled, It's Not If, It's When. Does your organization have a crisis communication plan? And I want to spend a few minutes talking about this today because I think the concept is very important to HSE professionals. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, gosh darn it, I was really hoping we could talk more about my books. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, now, is this a book or a publication? What is this? <laughs> Not if, it's when. Does your organization have a crisis communication? It's actually not a book. It's it's more of a blog post and a talk I give. Actually, there's a talk I give. It used to be in person. Now it's, of course, a webinar until further notice. But it's a talk I give quite often. And what I try to get across to people is that we offer crisis planning because it is not if, it is when. You're If you're in business, you're going to have something go wrong. And potentially it's the kind of thing that can go wrong that's going to get on TV or in social media or in the newspaper. And what I do 
And what my team does is we come in and we help people get a plan together. So when, when the stuff hits the fan, you're ready for it. You're a lot more ready for it, at least. So if you're an HSE professional, for example, in oil and gas, there can be all kinds of crises happen out on the rig or on a pipeline or, or something like that. Do, do you have any oil and gas clients? Not presently. Not presently. Well, hopefully you will after this podcast. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'm from Oklahoma originally. I live in Kansas City now, but and I've been around oil and gas all my life. My dad, this is going back 50, 45, 50 years, was with a little little locally owned oil company. And then my one of my best friends is a landman down in Oklahoma. So I'm pretty conversant with it. Not telling you I've ever you know worked a rig or anything like that, but I've got an understanding of the importance of oil and gas to the economy and to keeping things moving. And but also about how just very dangerous it is. One needs only look back about 10 years to the Deepwater Horizon situation that BP encountered, which is, in my line of work, a pretty textbook example of what not to do in a crisis. You know what? I wanted to ask you about that and wondered if you, see, if I were a really good podcast host, I would have already asked you about this. I'd make a terrible lawyer because I ask questions all the time. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I was just thinking about that, especially in this in relationship to this you know crisis communication plan. If you have studied that a little bit and you can comment on it from my limited study of it, that was kind of my impression. It was sort of a textbook example of what not to do, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, you go back to April twentieth, twenty ten, and their deep water horizon rig exploded, and it caused what may have been the worst environmental disaster in American history, and it took the lives of 11 rig workers and for about just under 90 days straight oil and methane gas just spewed from this uncapped wellhead about a mile below the surface and federal government estimated 4.2 million barrels of oil spilled into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, besides all of the immediate death and destruction there, you've got your ecological damage, which, you know, some people sniff at that and go, oh, the, the ocean will heal. Well, the ocean ain't going to heal fast enough for the folks who whose businesses rely on a clean ocean, you know, from from restaurants to, to fishing fleets to, to just everybody. So everybody's affected by that. So what you've got there with BP when that happened, you don't have just a few isolated people who are upset with you because, unfortunately, a loved one was killed or, or injured. You've got literally millions of people potentially who are affected by this and all the way down to, as you know, too, you know, gas prices can be affected by something like that. So everybody to a degree gets touched by this. Okay. So the thing that BP did though, that really, it's just from the get go, they just didn't make good decisions about how to do this. Their executives declared that it, it was not their accident. They blamed their contractors and Unfortunately, it came out that was not completely true later, but at the time it just looked it was a bad look for them. They just looked arrogant and callous and uncaring. The CEO, Tony Hayward, CEO at the time, he did a and this is used in my talk all the time. I use the video. It's just too perfect. He says, you know, there's no one who wants this thing over more than I do. You know, I'd like my life back. And it's just wow. When a multimillionaire CEO says something like that to people who are literally wondering, you know, are we going to get, you know, we're going to get our oysters? Are we going to get our whatever, whatever is we're counting on the Gulf to provide this year? It's just really 10 year kind of response. And so it just spiraled from there. And then they, they brought in a guy who was a better spokesperson, but it was kind of a dueling 
spokesperson thing for a while there. Hayward kept dipping in, speaking, and this other guy kept speaking, and it just didn't look good. They just, from the get-go, did not establish their credibility as a responsible company that said, they should have said, in my opinion, we are investigating this. We are working on this. This is a tragedy, and we are doing everything we can. We are putting every effort into doing this. But, Russell, the reason this didn't happen is because I don't think they had an adequate crisis plan in place. So they didn't have a good communication plan. You know, I'm reminded of that old story about a priest and a minister, and they're standing on the side of the road just before a big curve, and they're holding up a sign that reads, the end is near. Well, the car comes roaring by, and he sees the sign, and he stops and yells some obscenities, calling them religious nuts, and then he roars off on around the curve. Suddenly, there's a loud screech and then a huge splashing sound. And the priest says, that's the third one today. Yes, says the minister. Yes, says the minister. Maybe instead we should change our sign to read bridge out up ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How you communicate is, is really important. So let's talk about crisis communication. Here's the thing. When something goes wrong, just imagine... Just imagine you're in your kitchen making yourself a grilled cheese and the phone rings and and then you find out it's some bad news on the phone and you get distracted and then all of a sudden the smoke alarm detector goes off and you look and the kitchen's engulfed because you forgot your grilled cheese and everything's going crazy. The fire department's on the way. We've got one of those ADT systems here at home and we've got a very sensitive smoke detector. So I, I can tell you when it goes off, it's crazy loud. So you've got all this going on. You've got smoke going everywhere. Your lunch is ruined, by the way. You're on the phone talking about bad news with your boss or something. All these things are going on. Most people, when this happens, one of a couple of things happens is usually they don't prioritize what to do first, right? I mean, frankly, the first thing you got to do is get the, the grilled cheese off the stove, right? Let's get that all, that fire put out. Let's do that. Next thing is try to get the smoke detector to shut off. And the third thing is is to deal with the person on the phone. You've got all these things going on. may not be the best example, but the point being, most people are not prepared when all these things happen at once and people freak out. Well, if you plan ahead, you will have a crisis management team in place. You will have protocols when when there is an injury on a rig, where there is, if something explodes, God forbid, if, you know, Everything, everything that could be a crisis based on health and safety, all those things, which you know far better than I, every one of those scenarios should be planned out and a decision tree should be made for people on the ground to their supervisors and who the supervisors call immediately at corporate or wherever you may be to get your spokesperson, who I like to call like a, a chief crisis manager or chief crisis officer, get that person involved where they can take over at least the communications aspect of it. But too often what happens is these things happen and then the CEOs get involved because they're in charge. That's their company. But often, and I tell this to a lot of my clients, and it's kind of funny, Russell, when I do this, I say, you know, the CEO is often not the best person to handle communications during a crisis. And one CEO, I can't say who, uh, most of my business is non-disclosure, but the bank president I worked with, and he said, and why not? And I said, because you're going to be busy leading the organization and you're not going to have time for myriad questions you're going to get. You should leave that up to, and I'll just make up a name, Marcy here. She is your director of communications. She also has the direct relationships with the media. She should be the one handling the communications aspects. You should be managing the crisis aspects of it for everything else. And I've actually had other CEOs types or C-suite people say, ah, that's a relief because I don't want to be out pushed out in 
front of the cameras. And so what we do is we help establish with the planning who's going to be the forward public facing person, who is going to what part of the team is going to make sure that all of the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, who's going to also do things that a lot of people don't think about, Russell, which is also okay, sure, you've got stuff ready for the news media, but have you paused your social media yet? Or do you have you have posts that are maybe scheduled that are firing off that are going to look really callous? Perhaps somebody has died at a rig, and then you've got social media going off saying, our rig safety is second to none. Can you know That's something you might have had scheduled for months, right? But a lot of companies don't think, oh my gosh, immediately crisis, pause all social, pause advertising, pause emails that kind of thing. So sorry to go on here, but there's just so many little. No, that's very good. But but what I'm sitting here wondering is how am I going to remember all that when it happened? That's why we create a plan. And I say it's on paper because it is. It can't just be something you all discuss like, hey, Steve, stuff goes down. You're in charge. And Marcy, you do this. And Kelly, you do that. You have to do is you get this crisis team together. I just did one of these for a local company. They were a HVAC company. And they came to me and said, we're concerned about COVID because we're in people's houses. What do we do if one of our people gets sick because somebody went to somebody's house? Or worse, what do we do if we go to somebody's house and we don't know it and we're sick and we get a customer sick? And I was like, well, yeah, there's so many. So what we did, we sat down and we did something I call black swan training. I didn't invent that, but a black swan is when you sit down and try to imagine the craziest thing that could possibly happen to your, you and your company. And I tell everybody, there's no wrong answers. Everybody just throw these things out here and people kind of squeamish at first. So what I do, I'll throw in a video from that. My, one of my old favorite old movies, uh, Ghostbusters, where at the end they're having this big climactic battle and they were like, clear your minds. Don't think of anything bad that will be fine because the devil needs all these thoughts of ours to create things to fight against us. So, well, one guy doesn't make it. He thinks about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. So the entire city of New York is assailed by this 80-foot Marshmallow Man walking through there. It's a comedy, obviously. But the point being is a black swan is just the same thing. I mean, something you think will never happen because you've never even considered it can turn around and bite you later. I mean, on a more serious note, I don't think very many people had ever dreamt before 9-11 that people would hijack airplanes and use them as missiles. I don't think people really understood fully the awesome power but the awesome responsibility of the internet either. So those are some things that you could kind of black swan. So back to the company I was working with, I said, let's go through every potential scenario that could happen if one of our team, one of your team goes into a house and catches it, or your team member perhaps comes into a house and brings it. What if one of our team accidentally brings it to a customer's house and that customer dies? There are just so many different things, permutations. So what we do from there, we create all of these scenarios and then we assign who's the chief crisis officer, who's the spokesperson. Usually that's one and the same. Who's handling social media? Who's with HR? Who's going to deal with that interface with that? Who's doing internal communication? Everybody gets their job. Everybody gets their role. It's all put on paper in a three ring binder. You can pull off a shelf, but it's also accessible wherever you want to put it. I always recommend you get a vault. You get like a Google Docs that's password protected or something a little more than that, probably depending on the size of your organization where everybody can access it. Now, to get even deeper to your question, Russell, because you make a great question. Well, how are we going to remember all this, even if it's in a book, right? Well, the thing is, I tell everybody, I said, this is absolutely useless to you if you don't drill. And what I tell people, I said, you know, you should meet every quarter 
and go through every page of this book and make sure that everybody who initially was assigned a job still works here, that we have their cell phone number, that we have, then we have everybody go through and say, hey, something happened that made me think, here's another potential black swan idea that we need to address and put into this plan. So if people will drill on that quarterly at least and keep updating it, eventually when something does happen, I think people will find remarkably that it's very, very, very helpful. I think that concept may be worth the price of admission for a ticket to this podcast today. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, I have a saying that it's it's too late to take swimming lessons when you're already drowning. Oh, that's good. I like that one. It's true because you're in the middle of, well, look, you know, Russell, it, this even hit me though. The beginning of last year, my gosh, we're in 2021. 2019, we had shifted our focus to doing not 100%, but a larger volume of crisis comm planning, right? Now we do active crisis as well. Like if something happens, people call me and I, I walk them through it or I show up or whatever, that happens. But the planning aspect I think is just not there in the large enough degree. And I thought that's a nice niche for me to get into, but look what happened to me. So I had a scheduled speaking engagements all of 2020, you know, regional conferences, local stuff, all this stuff. And of course, what happens, the biggest crisis that we in our lifetime have seen, you know, the pandemic hits and I'm not telling stories on myself here. I mean, I was prepared for that in the aspect that I understood what it meant and all that. But what I was unprepared for as a business owner was how I was going to pivot. And, you know, most people pivoted to webinars and things like that, but I had not really wanted to go that route and I was not fully prepared for it. So I learned a lesson there too about communication channels if things go go sideways. But I would guess that you are doing webinars now. That's pretty much how you're communicating with your clients or that's the way you're going around making speeches. You're doing it over Zoom or... Right. Like that client I just mentioned the other day, never saw him in person once. We did it all over Zoom. And what I am starting to schedule, I did a little bit of it last year, but I'm I'm more interested in doing it this year, is trying to get a monthly webinar going. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a million people. It can be four or five people just get get on there and we'll do we'll do a basic 90 minute, this is how you get started. And then if people are still interested, I'm happy to to sign on to work with them. So and then we have various tiers of service from there. Okay. So what we'll do, we'll put some links in the show notes, either your website or whatever link you want to provide so that people can check into that. Because what you're telling me is you can not only help someone either write their crisis communication plan or review their crisis communication plan for maybe holes in it. And then if they really screwed up and they are they are drowning and haven't taken the swimming lessons, <laughs> they can they they can at least give you a call. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And here's the thing about the I call that active crisis services. And I'm going to tell you, there's there's two good reasons to have a plan. One of them is, yeah, you don't want to be that guy, you know, trying to keep your head above water in a crisis. Second thing though is it's expensive because what you do when you call a crisis person, communications person to come in, you're you're on the hook for them dropping everything and coming to take care of you, especially if you have something very serious going down, you know? So that's not cheap because you're asking the person who, because you know, it's not like there's, it's not like I'm doing crisis every day, you know? I mean, so if you call me and say, oh my gosh, bad accident on the rig, things look bad. I need you to come down or at the very least, I need you to be 24 seven reachable. It's not cheap. Now, when I say it's not cheap, it doesn't mean now if you call me, I'm probably a lot more affordable than some of the big, big, big agencies because I, I pretty well work out of my own virtual offices, but it can be expensive. So I tell people 
just let me take a look at what you've got because that's the easiest tier. Just let me look at what you got. Do you have a plan? Let me look at it. A lot of people have a plan. And this is what you're, what I'm probably going to hear the most from our listeners is we have a plan. And I'll look at it and I'll say, yeah, what you got here though, you got a risk management plan, which is great. You need, to, you obviously have to have one. I mean, especially around rigs, I mean, ocean, all that stuff. But I'm looking here and I'll find one line item of someone who's going to, you know, deal with the media if they call. And that's it. Well, the truth of the matter is if, if you understand how a lot of oil and gas companies operate and the service companies operate mm-hmm. and their MSAs and, and all that sort of thing. So these oil and gas companies or these big service companies, even that use subcontractors, they rely upon these safety companies that quite frankly, they write all this boilerplated stuff and it's kind of like a little checklist that you go through you know well do you have this do you have that and yeah we got it because we paid this company five hundred dollars to write it for us and of course (laughs) you know that happens with a lot of safety programs and i'm glad you really all you hse people out there it can't just be something that's that's on a piece of paper or or you even hang it on the wall in the rig or whatever you got to practice it you got to drill it you got to you got to be familiar with it and you got to own it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. Because that's exactly it. If you drill it, you know, pardon the pun, if you drill it. That's a good pun. <laughs> you're going to do a lot better. And I'll tell you, you're just going to sleep better at night. And, you know, there are a lot of horror stories out there. Deepwater Horizon is one of the biggest, most outsized one. But, Russell, do you have a minute? Can I tell you a little bit how I got into this crisis stuff? And Yeah, why? yeah, do that. Do that. Well, let me tell you a little story. So as I mentioned, I'm from Oklahoma City originally, and I started my career. It's funny. I trained in graduate school to be a PR guy, but first job I took, what did I do? I went and worked for a newspaper. I wrote for the Tulsa World for a little while, and then I was small town newspaper editor for a few years, which I loved. Greatest job I ever had. But then I got it back. I got into PR and I went to the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. That's basically the medical school. There's three hospitals on campus. There's a county coroner. There's all the, it's just a huge, you know, school of pharmacy, dentistry, all this stuff is there. One big one-stop shop. Well, I was green, you know, green as grass. It's my first PR job. I mean, I'd been a newspaper guy, but I was in my twenties and long story short, too late, right? A long story short. Usually when you say that, right. <laughs> yeah, you're already in trouble there. And I'm a podcaster. I should know better, but here we go. So I'm in the copy room. Remember the copy room, folks? I'm making photocopies of something and I, I feel this sh- shutter and I felt like somebody had slammed the door really hard. And I came out in the the office and just a couple of us were there that day are, and I said, who slammed the dang door? And then I look out the window and there's this plume of smoke. And just about a mile away, turns out a domestic terrorist blew up our federal building. Oh now, boy. Yeah. You know, I actually, I actually interviewed the guy who was the first responder. He was the first person on the scene at that explosion. Oh, did you? Well, Probably really a couple of years ago. Yeah. My brother, coincidentally, firefighter, he just started about a year earlier. His station was first there. So it's a lot. But the thing is, here's the thing that I want to tell you, though. So phone starts ringing, you know, and our boss was, okay, my boss was the director and she answered to the provost. Well, guess where he was? If you know Oklahoma City at all, Oklahoma City is the center, the capital, but Norman is where OU's main campus is. And since he was provost of a you know, of the Health Sciences Center, and it was a meeting with, you know, all the leadership, they were gone. So we had no communications leadership on campus, and all the phones were just forget it. The phones were just jammed. You couldn't, well, mostly, we couldn't get calls out, but I got calls in, phone rings, one of my colleagues picks it up, 
And she said, it's a Houston, Texas TV station. They want to, they want to know what's going on. I said, well, why are they calling us? And they said, I don't know, but they, they're calling us. So I took the call. 20-something years old, didn't know what I was doing, had no, no crisis communication plan, no idea what to do. And our boss wasn't there, didn't know what to do. So I got on the phone and didn't know what it was. I said, the reporter starts peppering me with questions and I'm doing this number. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. And the reporter was like, well, why don't you know? I said, look, we're at the medical school. We're a mile away. Well, she said, what do you think happened? <laughs> And I made the biggest mistake. You know where I'm going, don't you? Right. <laughs> I said, well, I think it could have been a gas explosion. She said, all right, we'll, we'll go with that. And I said, no, wait, I don't. Click. Now, I don't even know if she went with that. Point being, I speculated. I'm remiss if I said I panicked. I don't want to say I panicked, but I definitely had no business giving a statement because I didn't know anything about this. But the point being, if we'd had a crisis plan together, right, and we'd been drilling for it, I would have known exactly what to do if the boss was gone and something went down, right? I would have known not to speculate. I would have known all these different things. We had no idea. Now, this story worked out okay for me. I was attached to the hospitals for the next year, year and a half. We were dealing with this. I did. I quitted myself well, but I've never forgotten that day and that really regrettable thing I did that could have caused some disinformation and could have made the situation worse. Well, you may or may not have panicked. And of course, in any crisis any kind of crisis, the very first thing they always tell you is don't panic, stay calm, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's easier to do if you are prepared. And so what you're saying is you may not have panicked. The problem was you weren't prepared. Yeah. And you know, I want to tell you, my boss there, he became my boss. I didn't get transferred. I was offered a job at the hospitals. The hospitals were on the campus, but were separate about six months later. And my boss there, I learned so much from him because this was children's hospital. They brought, there was the babies, there were babies, there were little, little toddlers. They had a daycare in this federal building. So we got all those kids and I scrubbed up while 48 hours went into this surgery with a little, a little boy, PJ. And anyway, but my boss, Jake, he taught me something. I just, and I, he taught it to me by me watching him throughout all of this. When everybody else's hair was on fire, he would just become more and more calm, more and more calm. And I watched him and we'd have informal talks and all that stuff. But I realized he said, we're the ones that are paid not to, not to freak out when the media show up. You know, I'm not trying to equate what PR people do with first responders who save lives. However, what PR people do and what, what we could do on staff, though, was keep people calmer and try to help them make better decisions by not having them freak out because, you know, live trucks rolled up or somebody pretending to be a nurse got in and tried to take pictures of the kids, that kind of stuff. And I never forgot that. And the nicest compliment I ever had was about 10 years ago. I was in the middle of a crisis situation with a client. And he said, you know, you just, everybody else gets louder and more sweaty and you just get quieter and calmer. I said, well, you're not paying me to lose my head, are you? So it, it, it's just, it's all about prep though. And it's about keeping your perspective. And of course, Russell, I'm sure you can figure out that, and God forbid, but I've never personally been involved in a crisis worse than that one since. Yeah, let's hope let's hope you're not. <laughs> hey, Alex, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And you mentioned you're a podcaster. Tell us about that. I do a show. It's a year old. My gosh, as of today, man, this is you're so fortuitous here. This is great. As of today, it's a year old. It's called PR After Hours. And well, there's two things about it. One, you can tell from the way I, I gab on and on and on that I like to talk and have conversations with good people like yourself. And we talk to PR people, marketing people, business owners, subject matter experts, kind of a lot like what you do here with your show. And it's just about 
in business. And it's like you're either at the, the bar after work having a beer or you're having a cup of coffee and we're just chatting. And it's about 20 minutes and we do two shows a week. One show is an interview like this one. And one is just me getting on for about 10 minutes offering you some kind of tip of the week kind of stuff. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes too. So again, thank you, Alex. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. And you can discover more about Anderson Hauser by looking in the show notes for our website link at cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And you can register for our monthly podcast giveaway there as well. Also posted is the LinkedIn and Twitter links. And we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.